Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, England have made it 10 wins from 11 test matches under Brenda McCullum and Ben Stokes, and a dominant 267 run win over New Zealand in the first test at Mount Monganui. We'll hear from the England captain throughout the show. We'll also hear from both James Anderson and Stuart Broad after they became the most successful bowling partnership in Test history, moving past Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne's record of 1,001 Test wickets when on the field together. And we'll ask if this week's second Test is the last time we'll see them play an overseas Test match together. We'll also hear exclusively from England keeper Ben Folkes, discuss a chaotic second test between India and Australia in Delhi and uh, look at a change of captaincy for the South African test side. So plenty to come as always over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, we've had uh, an unscheduled but not unexpected day off. I say that with respect to the New Zealand team. Um, England have won by 267 runs. You've had, finally, your first game of golf, having carried your clubs from Ashington to Mount Monganui. Um, and time to reflect, how'd the golf go? Uh, golf went very, very well, and no surprise, it really isn't. So we play, I play golf today with four former teammates in Ben Stokes, uh, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad and Marcus Ruskothic, and, and a very sort of evergreen young Harry Brook, who has taken test cricket like a duck to water and he got 38 points off four and really cheesed me off a little bit more, annoyed me a little bit more of how good he is with the bat. Brilliant in interview because he spoke and we'll hear from him, from him throughout the show and I seen him hit a golf ball for the first time and what a golfer he is as well. So, look, it's been a, I mean, I've really enjoyed the day just being back with Jimmy and Brody in a relaxed manner, reminiscent. We, we talked a lot about times in our careers and people that we we, we played with and and now obviously I shared a buggy with Trez played with, with Ben 
Um, and to see them go the way they're going, man, it's just ridiculous. Ten wins from 11. The What Brennan McCullum and Ben Stokes are doing, it's just it's frightening where they're taking this, the, not just the England cricket team, but test cricket around the world because I can believe that in every international dressing room at this very moment, there's talk about the way England are playing. And that, for me, is probably the biggest compliment I can pay to Brendan and Ben, the way they've, the way they've transformed the England cricket team. Because after the Ashes, we were in absolute shambles. Now, everybody wants to play the way Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum outlook of the game of cricket, and it's great. Well, let's have the first of several clips during this uh, programme from the England captain, Ben Stokes. I don't think I really had any expectations, to be honest. There was just obviously something that when I took over, I thought it would be a good opportunity for a slightly bigger change and as to the way that uh, the team thinks about going out and playing tests. But, yeah, in terms of being able to have the results in which we have against you know, some very high-quality oppositions, I guess you could say, but expectations and, and everything like that just keep blown out of the water by the performances that not only the team are putting in but also certain individuals keep put, have put in over the last you know 10 to 11 months well he's talking about exceeding expectations Hami um, I have to say that there's so much content and so much to talk about we can't possibly fit it into an hour but I just want to ask you including the test match that Ben deputized for Joe Root when he was expecting or um, having his second child he's won 10 out of 12 10 out of 11 since he was appointed full-time, which is the greatest ever start to any captaincy career by anybody in any country in the history of Test cricket. It is, and it's, it is very simple. There's no science behind it. It's no science behind it whatsoever. It's like you see kids play on the side of a cricket field or you know, the, the All-Stars, I'm even going back to all, like the All-Stars, ECB initiative, the All-Stars with the, the blue or the orange bat, the tennis ball or the, the wind ball, and you see kids just hitting the ball and hitting the ball. Ben and Brendan seem to have gone back to, right, go back to how you loved the game and how you enjoyed the game and the freedom that you want to express. And, and I think that is what they are trying to do at this minute in time. And we are literally going to have some fun here. And if it doesn't come off, and there's times where it might not come off, they're not going to have any negativity. They're not going to have anything about run rates. They're not going to have... And, and, and i tell you what, it would have been very, very difficult. There was times during our commentary in the last few days that trying to get the older guard, the likes of Root and Anderson and Broad, to not buy into it, but to understand on how Ben Stokes wants... But it's like, at the end of an over, we're trying to keep a batsman on strike. We've got all the men in. I am not bothered if you bowl a ball, which goes for four or six. It's as simple as that. Where bygone years and bygone days, it's all been about run rates. We go at two and a half and over, three and over, and let's keep it right. It's like, at the end, we've seen Ben Stokes at the end of the game when Daryl Mitchell's on strike, Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson's bowling, fifth ball of the over, bowl a short ball, get hit for four. I am not bothered because I've got Blair Tickner on strike at the other end. And that example is how Ben is going about his cricket. It's about the team. It's not about any one individual. It's about how we, as a group, evolve and get better. We've got to get to a score as quickly as I possibly can to get the lights on so we can bowl at that time. 
you you made a great terminology in in commentary and said this scorecard looks like a benefit scorecard <laughs> and it was it was like it was like thirty off twenty balls it was fifty off forty balls and it was like can we get there quickly because we identify two passages of play if we get a chance to get the ball in our hand we will win the game and that's exactly what happened. Jimmy Anderson says that uh, and he's not prone to exaggeration or hyperbole Jimmy he's a man of understatement rather than overstatement but um, he said that uh, Harry Brooks the best batsman in the world at the moment so let's just remind ourselves of that comment frightening talent you know it's, it's hard to look at anyone else as being the best player in the world at the minute um, wow. that's how good he is he's just phenomenal you know we bowl, bowl at him in the nets and it's difficult <laughs> to see where to bowl to him and where, how to get him out and yeah we just saw more evidence of, of what great form he's in and yeah, that, that talent, you know, you can hit the, any ball to any part of the ground, which is uh, a frightening ability, and um, hopefully you can just go from strength to strength now. That's Jimmy Anderson talking about uh, Harry Brook, and, you know, um, Harry Brook just said he was man of the match, and he said in his, in his post-match interview, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable being allowed to be who you are, just being yourself. Was Jimmy going a bit over the top there? No, I don't think he was. I don't think he was, and you've got to remember, Jimmy's seen them all. Yeah, Jimmy's he's he's seen them all. Jimmy came into the team in two thousand and three, probably of the the generation just before that. From a batting point of view, you're probably only looking at Graham Thorpe, who could challenge as one of the sort of greats of the game. I'd be one of when you're talking about picking a, a, a top England eleven across over the last sort of fifty years. Probably Thorpe's the only one that Jimmy didn't play with for that the twenty years before that. Jimmy's played with the rest of them. He's played with like so Sir Alistair Cook. He's played with Kevin Pearson. He's played with with Joe Root. Um, and and I said uh, at the end of the game, if Harry Brook keeps going on the path that he's going, he could surpass. He could be around and talked about in the echelons of Sir Alistair Cook, Joe Root, Kevin Pearson is arguably the best one of the best multi-format modern-day batsmen that England's ever produced. And he's a very very simple lad who talks about the game in a simple way. We've had two interviews, I think, we've with Sam Allard over the course of the last week. And then when he goes out to bat, the simpleness to where he bats, it's, he just picks his bat up, a little trigger movement, head is the stillest I've ever seen any player um, in my time. And then he reacts again, whether it's a good ball and he respects it, defensive push, a bad ball, short ball, on the back foot, push or cut, and if it's full and overpitched, he throws his his hands at it very, very well. So he's he's got all the tools and he puts them in the right order. Order and to be fair to him, he's gone. He's he's had a, a ridiculous start to his career. I just love the little pause there at the beginning because you are concerned about putting the mockers on him uh, and you know and you don't want to make big statements but you can't help it because you know you're superstitious like most of us in cricket what I found really fascinating is I think really talented players get hacked off when people say oh it comes so naturally and we do don't we we see a really elegant player and we, you know and Harry's probably had it said about himself as well people he's probably heard people say oh you're just such a natural and he did say in that interview after his man of the match uh it is based on a lot of hard work it is based on a lot of hard work but what you do is when you work hard and you work as hard as Harry Brook Jimmy Anderson Stuart Broad Joe Root all the Ben Stokes all these players you do work hard but when former players and pundits 
see it becomes natural. Because what you do is you work hard to get it to become natural. Because you're, you're training your brain. Can I train my brain to hit a half volley through extra cover for four to become natural? Can that become natural? So I work hard and hours and hours in the nets, hitting ball after ball after ball, in training, ball after ball after ball. And what it does is, because of the hard work, it becomes natural. So I think they go hand in hand. His talent becomes natural is because of how hard he works, because he's trained his brain to make sure that if the ball's overpitched, bang, four. If the ball's a short ball, bang, four. That's natural, and that's not a flipping comment. It's not an easy comment and say the game's easy. The best player I ever played, against, played with was Kevin Peterson. And Kevin Peterson was probably the most... He was the hardest worker I have ever known. He was the fittest in the team. He was the strongest in the team. He spent so much time practicing specifics to make himself the best. And a lot of the stuff looked as though it became natural to Kevin. But a lot of it was because of the amount of working, single-minded driving to make his game better. So when you say it becomes natural, it's a positive comment and a pat on the back because of the amount of hard work he's done. I just like the way that Harry Brook also finds a way to hit the ball into gaps. They say that's about uh, about the best batsman. You know, New Zealand were running in and bowling bouncers. They had no mid-on and mid-off. Uh, that's where the gaps were, and Harry Brook found a way to hit the ball through them. So that, that was a, a very special. Uh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We'll continue to look back at England's 267-run victory over New Zealand in the first test match at Mount Manganui. We'll bring you, of course, live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the second test from the Basin Reserve in Wellington from 9pm on Thursday evening on TalkSport 2. Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. It's a, you know what the hardest thing about them is that uh, we've had to find new superlatives for you know, getting on for a decade. Certainly since we started uh, the Cricket Collective, we, we, we seem to talk about Jimmy and, and Stuart every week. Um, and here they are now. They they took twelve wickets in the match between them, a thousand and nine, a thousand and nine wickets on the field in test matches together. It's ridiculous. And they took eight to win the test match in the second innings. And you are not judged on what you do in how you win the game, but they won the game so many times for England. And even today, playing golf for them today was was bizarre because the balls went up. Yeah, you threw the balls, there were six of us, you threw the balls up, and whose balls came down together? Jimmy and Brody. The two of them were in a, they were in a buggy together as well. So, look, yeah, they're inseparable. Um, they've got so many stories to tell. They've got so many great memories. Um, and this is another, another great memory. And I think if you asked, coming out of the ashes, would Broad Anderson Robinson play together in a test match in the Southern Hemisphere? I think you would have been laughed at. You really would. I don't think anybody would even contemplate in picking the three of them together. And even Stuart himself said in an interview before the Test match, after the West Indies, or when the West Indies squad was picked, he thought that might have been his their, their days numbered because England were looking to move away from Broad and Anderson. But just shows you that class is always permanent, and you never ever write, never ever write them off. And when I look at Jimmy. Jimmy especially. Jimmy's 40-year-old, and when you see him running around the field and bowling second innings the way he did, that's just frightening. It really is. He's, he's moving 
he's moving like a, a bloke who's 20, not 40. And he's bowling like somebody who's in their 20s, not 40. Um, and it would not surprise me. You know, question marks again will be, will we see Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad play in the same test match again? I would imagine they will at, at Wellington, no problem at all. Will they play in the summer in the Ashes? I actually thought going into this series, Stuart was probably behind Ollie Robinson. If Wood and Archer are fit, one of them will play and it would be, it would be Broad behind Robinson. But the way Stuart Broad bowled, typical whenever he answers his critics, he tends to speak very, very well when he's trying to get a game in the team, <laughs> and he also backs it up. And that's the thing. You know, we can laugh and, and joke as much as we want about when Stuart Broad's not in the team, he tells the world why he should be in the team. But it's easy in words. It's not as easy in actions, and his actions always back it up every single time he backs it up. And he did. He blew the game open on the third night. And then when it was a little bit more difficult, and I apologise, Stuart, it was a little bit more difficult for your partner, Jim, to come and do it on the in the sunshine the next morning, even though it was you know, the, the middle order, the lower middle order. I get you knocked over the top order, but Jimmy Anderson come over and, and said, right, don't forget about me, got four foot. Two of them walked off arm in arm. The actual record is ridiculous to even think about it. And when somebody says... Well, it'll take a while to get it broken. It'll take a while for somebody to get close to it. I don't think in the next 100 years anybody will get within 400 wickets <laughs> of a combination of what Broad and Anderson have got now. I really don't. Well, here is what Stuart said um, about collecting a 1,000 wickets with his partner, Jimmy Anderson. Yeah, it's very special to, to do something like that with one of my great mates and someone who, outside of cricket, will be a, a, a friend for life and has been there through cricketing times but also personal times. You know, most prolific, yes. Greatest, I wouldn't say so. McGrath and Warner, two heroes of mine growing up and what they did for a generation of Australian cricket was was outstanding. Um, yeah, we've, we've taken over in, in wickets tally, which is pretty special as... Two fast bowlers, you know, uh, almost the longevity of that is probably the most surprising thing. Um, but I, I just feel lucky and pretty blessed that I've been born in the same era as Jimmy. And, um, you know, we're different bowlers for sure, but I think we complement each other really well. And actually, Chris Wokes texted me uh, this morning, last night, I know it all blends into one of these day <laughs> nights. the same, isn't it? He was like, a thousand wickets together looks mad when I type it out. And actually, <laughs> when I read it, I was like, yeah, that, that just looks really strange. I just, I remember taking like my hundredth wicket and I thought that was a marathon um, so for us to take in a thousand together is uh, is quite, quite mind-boggling really yeah there may be a few people that disagree with uh, with Broad's assessment there that they're not the greatest pair in history um, statistically they are although they did take 20 odd chess matches more than uh, McGrath and Warren to, to reach a thousand this was Ben Stokes's assessment of the two of them and he also agreed with you by the way he said that record will never be broken first of all he said It'll take a long, long time for that record to be broken. And then he corrected himself. He said, no, actually, um, I'll go on the record and say that record will never be broken. This was what the captain had to say. Having James Anderson and Stuart Broad on your side, as well, and also as well Ollie Robinson, is, does make captaincy a lot easier because you just throw them the ball and away they go, they'll probably get your wicket. But not only I thought that they were brilliant this whole game with the ball, but I said last night in the dressing rooms that we've got a 40-year-old and a 36-year-old you know, setting the standard of what we're about in the field in terms of energy. They'll bowl all day for you, but you see them run around the field, you know, 
Brody last night, that 10 over spell, and every time that a ball got hit past him, he was sprinting after it to the field, um, all the way to the boundary, and Jimmy's always done that. And then you look at what they do when they've got the ball in their hand and how many games that got, they have won for England and probably will do going forward. It's, they're setting a great example not only for us in the dressing room, but I think for just anyone who wants to look at having a long career in professional sport. You know, seeing them run in with you know, three lines on their chest is, is great and I don't really want to think it too far ahead as to when they might call time on, on their careers because the way they're going at the moment, you sort of don't want to think about that. You just want to keep thinking about them taking wickets and seeing Stuart Broad ball spells like he did last night. That's Ben Stokes talking about uh, <laughs> the goats. I always thought that the goat was a singular term. You know, you had to be the greatest of all time. But he's turned it into a plural there because he can't separate them. They're both goats, he says. You can't separate them. You really can't separate them because I don't think one would be as good without the other. I think Jimmy is a, a ridiculous bowler individually and I think Stuart is a ridiculous bowler individually. But the two of them t- together collectively are why England have been to the top of the world since my playing days finished in 2009. They complement each other very, very well. They are brilliant around each other, and they're always... This is the best thing for any young cricketer. Stuart Broad is 36, Jimmy Anderson is 40, and even Jimmy Anderson at 40-year-old is trying to get better, and it sounds amazing. They're trying to get better. But Jimmy is. His record's going up all the time. He is getting better. So he's trying to move the bar higher and higher, and you get into your 30s and you live on reputation alone. You do. You could live on reputation alone. I remember playing against Courtney Walsh at the end of his career. You know, I didn't quite play at the end of my, his career of Kirtley Ambrose. But you play and you know the likes of Alan Donald and, and Sean Pollock and people like that who in their sort of mid to late 30s, they lived on reputation alone. So they could just turn up, land it on an area and people respected that. The game has changed so much now that there's no respect given whatsoever. Young players come into the game, young batters come into the game, batters especially come into the game. They don't care if it's Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad. They're going to try and whack them out of the park and hit them off their length. This is what we do. But Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad keep finding a way and striving to get better. And for me, you play loads of great compliments to them. But they always, they're always talking to try and just raise the bar. That's what's ridiculous about these two. Just a final point on the two of them then. Um, two years ago when there was this edict, and I, I can't remember where it came from, but you know the word came down from on high that they couldn't play in the same test side again. And it did seem ridiculous to you and I, and, and we mentioned it on air many times. And, and Stuart obviously being the more vocal of the two of them, um, said so. And he said, why? It's ridiculous. And then it was suggested that they be rotated in the ashes. And he said, why can't we play all five? It just seems to me now that I know they're 40 and 36, um, but it does seem now that not only have they bought into the concept of being rotated, and this this is the most intensive ashes series coming up. I know it's five months away, but it's the most intensive ashes series in the history of, of ashes. And it seems to me now that not only have they bought into it, they're actually advocating it. And they are, they're actually saying, you know what, we, together or, or second or, th- or fourth test or first and third test, we can win a game. And actually, yes, we've got eight fast bowlers. Ben Stokes wants eight fast bowlers. And we've got eight. Let's use them all. So they, 
they are now ready to do exactly that. They are, and but they will want to play all five. I can guarantee <laughs> the two of them will want to play all five. Stewart will be cursing if he's not involved in in the majority of this series. And I don't see why they can't play together. I really don't, because I have not seen an, a team bat the way England have batted, which is hit the ball off top of off stump and put pressure on the opposition. I've not seen a team do it yet. England have done it, and that's why they are, under Ben Stokes and Brendan McCollum, that's why they are 10 wins from 11. Because that you can't just sit in and bowl top of off stump and sit there all day and say, two slips, gully, we're going to set a field to this. England hit you off your length. I've not seen anybody do that. So until they do that, then that's when Broad and Anderson will possibly have to not reinvent themselves, but have to think a little bit more. But at this minute in time, if a bloke is going to stand there 22 yards away from Broad and Anderson and think about how his game is and play for his off stump and have any sort of technical deficiencies, which we have in the modern-day sort of crash-bang wallop world, then Broad and Anderson will still survive, and they will still survive. If somebody comes at them, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they go about it. If they were to play against England's batters, it'll be interesting to see how they go about it. They'll find a way because they are great. But at this minute in time, if you come out and play against England and you're not at it when it comes to your batting um, technique, then Broad and Anderson will find, find your technique out. And that's why they've got so many wickets. And that's why they will still be very relevant when it comes to the Ashes in the summer. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the 13th highest scoring number 11 in Test cricket history. We learnt that during the Test match, so I had to include it. Yes, indeed, Steve Harmison has the 13th most runs. Batting at number 11 in Test cricket history, the top of the list, of course, is Jimmy Anderson. Um, with with 650 runs at number 11. Next up, we'll hear exclusively from England keeper Ben Folks. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including 
England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben Folks, his place in the team, whatever he does, seems always to be up for discussion with uh, the four half centuries, a couple of hundreds, um, usually impeccable glove work. Now, I compared him on commentary to um, the designated driver and the, the lads go out for a few pints and um, they, need, they I was thinking of the top six and then they need a designated driver and he did that job, not for the first time. Didn't he? I mean, you know, the, the, the lads were all went out and, and smoked, like I said, benefit match, you know, 50 and out. But then suddenly England actually needed to bat time. They, they got enough runs, but they needed to bat time. They needed someone to be semi-sensible, and, and Ben Folks did it. And, you know, he's, he's capable of scoring quickly. He's done everything that's been asked of him. Um, and yet still he's been asked politely to step aside for whatever reason, one reason or another, and he got COVID, he's had some bad luck, he had that horrible injury. Is he ever going to cement his place? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, and that's cruel. It really is cruel. <laughs> Largely down to the fact that Ollie Pope can keep wicket, Johnny Besto can keep wicket, and they're trying to find... Ben Docker can keep wicket. They're, they're trying to find six batsmen for seven places, and the seventh place is possibly Ben Folks and I find myself apologising all the time on the Critic Collective talking about Ben Ben Folks and I'm sure Surrey members are going you hate Ben Folks, I do not hate Ben Folks, I think he is a, a fantastic cricketer, I think he's a great gloveman um, and I think he's a, he's a very very talented batsman as well and it was just the, the reason why was Harry Brook was so good but to find a place to get Harry in the team and now Johnny's going to come back eventually where does Johnny come in and I think Zach Crawley's probably the one that's the most vulnerable because I'm not bothered whether Johnny can keep wicket or not he seems to be the one that is is the place that is, is on offer because Ben Folks has never like you said never let England down and he came in this innings uh, this test match the two innings he played were, were belters really really good you know England were in trouble in that first not in trouble but they were reeling a little bit, 209 for five. And Ben Folks came in, just rotated the strike, got things going and got Harry Brook in a position to just you know, get England into a declaration for for Ben to ben, ben Stokes to declare just at the right time to go. And again, like you mentioned, second innings. Well, he came in at number seven, but Stuart Broad had gone in, the Nighthawk had gone in the one, one place before. And a lot of people, like myself, I was like, well... I wonder if Ben's come in just because they just want to bat a little bit of time and Stokes needs to play with a tail just in case he needs to elevate the scoring. But it was as simple, and Ben confirmed it to me on the golf course today. He got caught short. He was at the toilet. That was as simple as that. <laughs> there was no science behind. There was no rhyme or reason between 
the reason why Ben Folks came in before Ben Stokes on the second innings, other than Ben Stokes went to the toilet and he didn't have enough time to put his pads on when Ben Folks went out and he did a, a, a fantastic job. And he's, his glove work is ridiculous. Daryl Mitchell had a plan against England's bowling attack, which was to hit the top of our stump. Like I mentioned before in the, in the earlier in the earlier section of the show about Broad and Anderson and how good it is, how good they are, nailing a line the length in and around our stump. Mitchell tried to bat a meter out of his crease, come hard at the ball, and Ben Folks, no, nope, not a problem. Helmet on, went up and stood up the stumps, and he took he took a take off Stuart Broad, which bounced lovely, and it ended up nearly shoulder height, and he whipped the bales off like you'd not believe. Great hands, no fanfare or uh, look at me sort of thing nice easy into the gloves bales came off and it looked amazing and the the guy is a ridiculous wicketkeeper he is the problem is can he score the runs to warrant a place in the top seven to play in this team and, and a lot of people questioned that over the course of the last year I think he's answered it and I think he's answered it quite well Talking of fanfare, there was a lot um, produced in the media about Ollie Pope and his uh, brilliance and his England future. Not so much um, for Harry Brook, which is really interesting, and that's a topic for another time, uh, perhaps. But um, the reason I mentioned um, Ollie Pope is because there was a wonderful interview with his parents done by Sam Allard, and uh, I just wanted to include some of that um, in this episode of... the of, uh, the Cricket Collective, because I thought it was fascinating. Sue and Richard, thank you very much for speaking uh, with us. If we can, can we start right to the early days of of Ollie Pope? Because we always find it interesting, people's stories, getting involved in the game. Everyone has a a different story, how they found their their mojo. So if you can, Ollie Pope, as a kid, how old was he when he first picked up a cricket bat? And when he first picked up a cricket bat, did you always know that he's good, he has something special? Well, I'd say one of the first times was we were over here staying with some friends I was up in the Bay of Islands. And he was probably, what, four, nearly five. And uh, we were staying with um, a great mate of ours who was also ex-CEO of New Zealand Cricket. And he bought him his first, one of his first bats. And so he spent most of that two weeks up in the Bay of Islands playing cricket then. And I'd say from about four or so, he's been pretty obsessed with it. And all sports, actually. All sports, yeah. yeah. Football, yeah. rugby... Yeah. Tennis. Yeah. And he, I guess he, if you asked him in the winter, what's your favourite sport? It'd probably be football or rugby and then the summer cricket. And I guess from what age? 13, 14, it, the main focus is on, on, on cricket. And yeah. then from then on, 13, 14, he's clearly got ability. He's clearly a good cricketer. Yeah. Is that the age where, despite playing all sports, that he sort of knew that's what he wanted to do? And then how did he sort of go through getting into cricket teams and, and clubs and sort of making he his way up. He, he played club cricket locally. Then he joined Surrey. So he was called up by Surrey quite young, actually. He played for the under-9s at seven. Wow. And, yeah, just progressed naturally. And we were basically the facilitators. So we didn't <laughs> yeah. encourage it in any way at really? all. But if he was called upon to do something, we just drove him there. And that's, is that, was that sort of, is that the most important role at age? Is it just yeah. driving them wherever they yeah, need to go? Yeah. I think it's so important not to be pushy. Yeah. Really, really yeah. important. That was our big thing, actually. I was very pushy on the academic side. Really? Um, and was gutted when he didn't go to university. But no. anyway, yeah. But is that, is that hard, though, sort of, when you know he's got something special? 
to sort of just let yeah, him let him go I mean, and do think, his own thing. I think uh, 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 he was uh, he played in his he held his place in the age group side at Surrey, which is fine, but uh, up to his 15, 16, 17, and then as a bottleneck. And the reality is ninety five percent then yeah. fall by the wayside. That was the point at which we thought go to university, keep your options open, do the cricket in the summer, study for the rest of the year. Um, but he was absolutely adamant, wasn't he? He, was, he, he had a place at Loughborough University, yeah. and we kept it open for him for two years, and then we just realised it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Surrey dangled a little contract in front of him. And he was he clever? It. He was. He got good A-levels. Yeah, yeah he got three, a, three decent grade A-levels. Yeah. He called me, because he, he made his debut for the one-day side um, in the semi-finals of the Royal London Cup, uh, up in, I think it was up in Yorkshire. And he needed, he couldn't make his debut unless he had signed a contract. And I had a, he called me and he said, I'm going to pass you over to Alex Stewart now. <laughs> and whatever he says, the answer's yes. <laughs> so I had this sort of five minute course. Of, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, of course that's fine. And then, and that was it. And then really, just as a parent though, when he makes his debut for Surrey, were you there? And what was that feeling like watching your boy go out there and play also and by the way some place to make your debut isn't it in a semi-final yeah yeah, it was it was um, that was yeah I think that was his debut it was the semi-final up in I think it was I think it was I think it was Headingley yeah it was and he then played in the final at Lords, but he um, he put down Alex Hells when Alex Hells was on nine I think I remember that actually went on to score 187 he broke sort of Jeff Boycott sort of 50 year record for the highest one day score so that was, quite, that was quite tough, but, you know, he bounced back. And in terms of being a, a county, I mean, do you kind of think Surrey was the perfect place for him? I mean, they've got such a good reputation, yeah. even just thinking recent yeah. years He's of lovely. so many young players coming through, and even you think yeah. right now, I mean, there's a great chance that someone yeah. like a Jamie Smith, yeah. Ryan yeah. Patel yeah. could go on. Was that sort of the perfect place yeah. for him to learn his craft? It was perfect, wasn't it? They were yeah. great. They had uh, great coaches. They looked after them really well. Um, yeah. Yeah, really I mean, well. He, we can't really compare it. He's never been sure yeah, of another county, but he's never once considered, you know, playing for another county. He's at, he's been couldn't have been happy there. From yeah, sorry boy, through and through from about well nine years old. Yeah. Were there any tough moments at any sort of part of his life, whether it's trying to juggle academic and being a cricketer, or maybe a, a period as a young kid where he wasn't doing well? Was there any any moments where he came home? threw the cricket bat and said, I don't want to do this anymore, and you had to sort of encourage him. Yeah. It couldn't have all been plain sailing, I'm no, assuming, no, no, could not it? No, at all. I mean, that, funny enough, that, that, that day, the final was quite a tricky moment, but he bounced back. He had two shoulder injuries, so he dislocated his shoulder twice, yeah, same shoulder. So each time he was out for four or five months. Um, and um, so that was quite tough. He, 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 you know, he had to come back from that, and then you know, he got dropped a couple of times, so... Yeah, I, I, you know, there have been a few sort of challenging moments, but I guess yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So you know, he, when he came back, he came back really strong. And then he sort of gets himself into the Surrey first team. And I mean, goodness me, I mean, yeah. the Oval. I mean, it's almost yeah. unfair, isn't it, on the other teams letting him bat on the Oval. <laughs> yeah. he, he kind of went he so well, was in, and he kind of felt like from such a young age, he was a, a player that you know everybody kind of spoke about and everybody kind of tipped for England. Yeah. Did you yeah. feel as if he kind of, at a young age, was just so far ahead of you know a lot of other young players is that fair no 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 to be honest he he sort of sort of I think from about the age of 17 he had a few good breaks few good scores but up until then he was just in a big group didn't think for a moment you know we thought we might do but so might a host of others we didn't think it's inevitable far from it no 
No, that's absolutely right. I think it was about the age of 16. And he had one particular innings at a school, didn't he? Reed School, yeah. Reed School, where he was playing for an age group side. And he did really well on a really rough pitch, wasn't it? The ball was going all over the place. And he seemed to get on the radar then. Yeah. More, for the first time. Yeah, so. And then after success with Surrey, can you please tell me the moment when your phone rang and you got told from your son that he was uh, about to go and join an England camp. We saw it. One of the papers picked up. They said sure. he's going to make his debut, and and then he told us. I think he he got a call. Well, they were speculating. Then he got a call. I think he was at home, and then you know it was it was a few days before the first test. Which, yeah, we made his debut at Lords, and that was quite yeah, it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, and as, as a mum, when you, when you find out your, your little boy's about to go and play for England, can yeah. you sort of sum up how you feel about that? Ama- well, amazing. So proud. Um, it was quite emotional, actually, seeing him come out for the first time. And, I take um, you were both there, yeah? We were, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Silly quote, I just wanted to double-check. You might have had a, a best friend's wedding somewhere or something. Alistair Cook came off and, you know, he waited on the steps, and then Ollie came down. They missed the first, well, first day of rain, then... India batted and then they, in they, he came and it was it was quite a moment. We were sitting next to Keaton Jennings' parents and Keaton Jennings' lovely mum put her hand on my arm and she said, as Ollie came out, she said, be strong, <laughs> be brave. And yeah. sure enough, the floodgates opened. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so you were crying as he walked out? Well, it doesn't... But I, had a, I had a tear yeah. in my eye, yeah, yeah. What was it like as parents when your son at such a young age is being thrust into that limelight? And, of course, a lot of other stuff comes with that fame... You know, money, you know, yeah. just walking down the street, people wouldn't talk to you, going to bars and people knowing who you are. Sort of, he seems incredibly level-headed, mm. but as a parent, when you see your son get given all of that and he sort of, you know, he's becomes stayed, famous... He really grounded. Yeah. Did you have to sort of help him with that or was he, did you always no, know he's, he's going to say... I'd say he's... he's yeah, he's been incredibly grounded mm. and um, I think pretty humble with it all and, yeah, hasn't turned into sort of Billy Big Boots, which, which is great, so... <laughs> it's hard to get Billy Big Books in cricket because you have a good day and then you get a really rubbish day and it's hard to get too big-headed in in cricket. We'll talk about some of the highs shortly but then as a parent thinking about he's had obviously some some tricky spells in England team maybe the most trickiest correct me if I'm wrong was maybe during the Ashes last year when obviously the team weren't doing well. No sure 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 (laughs) but we know it was obviously tough for the whole team with Covid and everything and he maybe wasn't in the best of form. You know, if you were to see him later that night or speak to him, kind of as a parent, when your son is playing on the bigger stage and not going as well, maybe some people are writing stuff about him that needs to be dropped. How do you approach it as a dad? Do you sort of try and take his mind off of it? Do you try and encourage him? How do you sort of... What's it like seeing those those sort of things? Those two overseas tours, India, then Australia, we we couldn't go because there was no travel. So, And then with the time differences, communication was quite tricky because... Yeah, Australia's 11 hours ahead. And then we'd just send a, send a message out and see how he responded. And he tended to bounce back pretty quickly. I mean, it was really tough then because, particularly in India, they were going straight from the ground and then back to the hotel. There was no, because of COVID, there was no opportunity to move around. There's no opportunity to distract us. That was really hard and we couldn't be out there. Um, but he did, you know, he had this sort of incredibly sort of strong, close-knit group of mates around him. So um, I think I think the support he got, and they all all the mutual support they give each other out there is just that's what yeah. that was the most important thing. There wasn't so much we could do with yeah because we were stuck at home, we couldn't be out there. Yeah, we couldn't go out and take him out for dinner. So um, it must have made it even harder, no? Look, I think the team look out for each other as well. They 
you know, if one of them's feeling a bit of a yeah. they look after each other so well. Yeah. There's nothing we could do. No, no. And we have to end, though, obviously, on the positive. And that positive has been the last year. You know, Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes yeah. come in. And maybe a lot, a lot of people would have thought that Ollie would have been even in the team for that no, still first no. team. I think Including I. Including Ollie. And when he and found I, out, we were in Cornwall yeah, he told walking me about on that. the cliffs. Yeah. And, I think um, he said to me he thought he someone was winding him up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he had a call. Um, he said, I think it's Baz or something. And he walked off ahead. And, with, and we were, he said, hold the dog. And we watched him and he just, he just went like really? that and did a fist pump in the air. Uh, we knew then, yeah. so he was chuffed a bit. So yeah, that was lovely. We said, we said, you know, and and batting three, you're right with that. He said, say anything. I'm yeah, in the yeah. team. I don't care. I'm, yeah. I'm in the team. Yeah, yeah. That's all I care about. And I think there was a great video of you, Richard, when he scored a hundred. Was the second test uh, yeah. of the summer? Of I think when he got that hundred, there was a camera on you celebrating Matt, when it happens. Yeah. Just how how yeah. magical was that being there that when he cool. when he scored that hundred? Yeah, I was, I was sitting behind Matt Root and. Joe got 100 as well, a much bigger, you know, bigger 100. So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. The night before, I was, I wasn't, I was going to go back home, and I thought, should I book another hotel? And it was the last <laughs> over, and I was about, I was on booking dock, and I was, and I just couldn't bring myself to press it until yeah, the final yeah, ball yeah. had been bowled. Yeah. So I'd be tempting fate, but no, it's amazing. And guys, I really appreciate your time. Just sum it all up, then. Pretty happy parents, right? Pretty proud parents of what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, living the dream, just absolutely loving it, every aspect of it, and it's no, it's just. Brilliant. That was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pope um, uh, with some fabulous insights, actually, um, into Ollie. Particularly enjoyed um, the story about them being there when uh, he got the call from Brendan McCullum to say that not only was he in the squad, it was he in the squad, but he would be batting number three. So, just for a laugh, Michael Atherton, when uh, during our commentary stint, said these selection conundrums have a way of resolving themselves. Just in the nick of time, somebody will trip over a curb or get on with food poisoning, and, and suddenly uh, you won't have the, the issues. But you have been brave enough to say, if Johnny Bairstow had to be fitted in next week, you said the only place is at the top of the order. You still feel like that? And and he would, I mean, he was player of the year, so he, he does come straight back. And Harry Brook is now undroppable, unrotatable even. Yeah, Harry's unrotatable. He's, he's in the, for me, he's in the side. You build your team around Harry Brook. I played in... That 2005 great side, and we brought a, we brought a kid in early in that year, Ian Bell, and it was it's different to Harry because Harry's come in and took the the world by storm. Belly took a little bit to get going, averaged about 20 in that 2005 Ashes series, but it was important that he was the one that was built around, and Ian Bell played 118 Test matches, scored a late 20 centuries phenomenal player because he was given that freedom and that chance Harry Brook needs that does he fit in an opener batman I don't see any other players Johnny can can come in and it would be whether if Duckett goes and scores runs again in the second innings then Zach Crowley's probably the one that's the most vulnerable either or whichever way but Johnny Bairstow when fit plays in this England side because he's got too much to give and he's delivered too much as well um, right, a reminder, we'll bring you live, exclusive, ball-by-ball commentary of the second Test match uh, between New Zealand and England from the Basin Reserve in Wellington, and our coverage gets underway at 9pm on Thursday evening, ahead of the first ball at 10am. Let's uh, turn our attention away from Mount Monganui. Uh, you don't get uh, much more different from the Feroz Shah Kotla Stadium uh, in Delhi, where... 
Well, my goodness me, Australia were absolutely blown away. They won the toss for the second Test match in a row, put 260 on the board, uh, seemed to be in control of the Test match. Uh, They had a lead of over 100 with seven wickets down. India fought back, and then Australia in their second innings. It was scores level, uh, went from 85 for two to 113 all out. It was a capitulation of volcanic proportions, and it was so bizarre it was almost amusing. Uh, from an Englishman's point of view, it was very amusing. Um, from an Australian's point of view, it was painful to watch. If I was an Australian watching that, it was painful. Um, it just seemed as though the whiteboard in the dressing room must have, we must sweep on it. And everybody, all their players were sweep, sweep, sweep. And it didn't work. And it, it just, look, I, I'm not going to criticise batters because I was a, like you've mentioned before I was number 11 the, the 13th best number 11 in the history of the game so actually actually you were the eighth best when you retired you were the eighth most prolific scorer at number 11 in test history when you retired just that five number 11s have gone past you since then yeah but I felt as I was quite good at the sweep shot and unfortunately the Australian batsmen weren't I watched one or two of them Alex Carey's was when I would watch it again, and I was like, oh, "Wow, that was quite painful." So, I wouldn't say it's it's easy to put right because it's not. I wouldn't say it's easy to play in them conditions because it's not. Was it as bad or as difficult as playing day one under lights at Mount Monganui against Broadand and Robinson in the with a pink ball? Probably not. It was probably more. It was more severe. It was harder against Ashwin and, and Jadeja on a, and Axar on a on a turning wicket. But it just seemed that the plan was, we're going to sweep. We're going to sweep. We're going to sweep. And even Steve Smith has come out and said, sweep is not my favourite shot. Sweep is not the option I want to do. But then they got done, all done by sweeping. So they're going to have to come up with a plan for the next Test match if the plan of turning surface. Um, their captain is going to have to do that journey from India back to Sydney and back again in the space of sort of seven days. He's got the world on his shoulders at the minute. He is a phenomenal cricketer. He really is. He's one of my favourite cricketers of all time. I, I really enjoy watching Pat Cummins play cricket. I think his bowling is is fantastic. I think his captaincy is very, very good. Um, but at this minute in time, he's got the world on his shoulders and the world on your shoulders are leading into an Ashes series. Um, the pressure that goes with that is one thing, and if if there are, if there is a, a family, then that could that could affect that as well. And I, I hope everything's well for Pat Cummins because I really enjoy him as a person and as a cricketer. But the Australian cricket team at this minute in time look an absolute shambles. He, uh, the test of his captaincy skills um, comes now, doesn't it? Uh, you, you know, I mean, it's easy to speculate um, and. Uh, and it's probably premature to speculate about the Ashes, but we're paid to speculate, so we can get away with it. It's gone pear-shaped um, in the first two Test matches. The Border Gavaskar Trophy has been retained by India. You know, 4-0 is a possibility, and then the majority of that team dispersed to various IPL franchises, and then they reconvene, having been on the road for three and a half months to go to England for the most intensive Ashes campaign ever, five test matches in six weeks, it's hard not to picture them arriving like troops off a, 
on the Somme. And, you know, it's really hard not to imagine them arriving pretty wounded. Yeah, you're you're thinking of scenes of Dunkirk, aren't you? That they come (laughs) off trying to get on that boat. And some of them might be trying to get on the boat to go the other way as opposed to going (laughs) to England. And the one thing that we have to remember as well, not only is it the five test matches in six weeks, they might lose 4-0 against India. They might have to come and play India at the Oval in a World Test Championship final beforehand leading into the, the, the series against, uh, against England. So all in all, it's, look, it's, it's difficult times. You look at their, their thinking and their selections. Yeah? Hands come in the middle order, not picking Travis Head. Stuart Broad, we've mentioned Stuart Broad so far on this trip and uh, on this show and Stuart Broad will be over the moon that David Warner's broke his arm because now David Warner's out the series. If David Warner played the series, he might have been out of the ashes because <laughs> he might not have gotten a game. The might have selectors might have, have done that. And I look at Australia and their, their chairman of selectors, their head selector, is sitting with, a, with, with shorts and a T-shirt inside the George Bailey, inside the, inside the camp. He's like their best mates. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is the last thing where you want to be. I don't know. I might, I might got it horribly wrong. Keezy talked to me about what he wanted from his selectors and you know, not being sort of overpowering, not really being sort of too much involved in selection because the captain and the coach are driving the team forward. I look at the Australian team and you look at the dugout and George Bailey's front and centre as a, as a chairman of selectors. So all being chummy, can you leave somebody out? Can you drop somebody that arguably you're good mates with? I just think Australia at this minute in time are, are having it really, 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 really bad. And I feel for Pat Cummins. They've uh, made a habit of selecting themselves or making selection decisions which leave them in a corner from which it's very hard to emerge. Peculiar. What about India? Um, Ravi Jadeja, to my mind, for my money, um, which stays in my wallet, but he's the best cricketer in the world. Um, he's the best all-round cricketer. Multi-format, but I mean, his bowling was ridiculously good. He's done it so many times before, and it's just—is it just because he bowls five miles out, five miles an hour quicker than than other spinners? Um, he was fantastic, and and a lovely moment for Chiteshwar Pajara as well in his hundredth Test match to score the winning runs, thirty-one not out, to win that Test match and, and retain the trophy. Yeah, it was great on Pajara. It was it was excellent. I thought Sonny Gavaskar spoke brilliantly before the game he got the guard of honour during the game he wins a test match he hits the winning runs I don't think it could have gone any better for for Bajara in that and yeah it's great and and yeah look it, somebody has played 100 test matches for India I see him coming playing county cricket and there's a lot of talk about Steve Smith playing for Sussex in county cricket is it the right thing is it the wrong thing Pajara came and played last year and he played brilliantly for Sussex gives so much to these young players at Sussex and they've got a lot of young players we have we have taken the mickey a few times about you know, our school trips and going on buses <laughs> and uh, a few of them shaving and things like that but it's he's given a huge amount to the game of cricket which is great and I agree I think and, and I liken you know Jadeja Ravi Jadeja like Ben Stokes he's a very very good situation player with bat and ball he knows you, you talk about the five mile an hour. He bowls five mile an hour quicker on a pitch, which you need to bowl five mile an hour quicker on. He bowls at five mile an hour slower than he stock ball on a pitch, which you need to bowl five mile an hour slower because he understands the game and gets the game. And then whenever India are in a hole, five down for not very many, 
plays the situation with the bat very, very well. How many times have we seen Jadeja get 50 or 70 in a low-scoring event when India have been 20 for three or 30 for three or 60 for three? Jadeja seems to be the one that plays the situation and gets them out of trouble. I think you're right. He is a wonderful cricketer and one of the very best in all formats, especially all-round game. Okay, just a couple of, uh, we're on to the final couple of items now. Shy Hope and Rovman Powell um, have replaced Nicholas Puran. They've split their white ball cricket. Uh, Shy Hope will be the ODI captain, Rovman Powell will be the T20 captain. So the West Indies ringing the changes there. But what I really wanted to ask you about was uh, Baz de Leerda, uh, the Dutch all-rounder, joining Durham on a two-year contract. Now, we commentated together on um, a, a couple of Netherlands series at the very beginning of the summer you, you actually said at the time you liked the look of Buzz de Lierda. Um so I'm wondering whether you played a hand in uh, recommendation for this contract not played a hand uh, conversation with we're obviously with Northy and talking about how good this boy is which obviously Marcus North is trying to get as director of cricket trying to get little gems out of out of anywhere to try and get them to play for Durham and he's getting another one another one Todd Murphy done a ridiculous job in a first uh, first test match in in India um, and all of a sudden he's going to play for Durham in you know pre ashes probably as a backup to to Nathan Lyon um, and it's a, another you know as a as a director of cricket at a county you're trying to get as much value as you possibly can for as less money and that's being realistic and Baz Delada is somebody who's got great all-round qualities and I've got no connection with it whatsoever. The coach of Holland is now the coach of Durham, or was the coach of Holland, was the coach of Durham. We had him in our show, and what a great interview we'd had with Ryan Campbell. What a top man he is, and I look forward to, to sort of seeing him closely at, uh, at my, obviously at my club. Um, and he's, he's brought in Brandon Glover, another one from the Netherlands, and he's brought in Baz Delader, who he has seen evolve as a young cricketer, so he's going to get the best out of them, and hopefully that's going to benefit Durham. And fingers crossed, Todd Murphy, when he does come to Durham, that he can feel his fingers and be able to try and spin the ball, and it's going to be the, the, the track is going to be as green as it was when it first started at um, Mount Monganui the other day when it was glowing. That's what happens when you come to England from obviously from Australia first thing. So it's going to be a little bit of a eye-opening experience for Todd Murphy when he comes. Well, it's our last few hours in Mount Monganui. I've decided to fly to Wellington. You've decided to cash in your flights and drive our boss, John Norman, uh, to the Basin Reserve in Wellington. We reckon it's about a seven-hour drive. The only concern is that uh, Wellington is the windiest, officially the windiest city in the world, and it can be fun, uh, if that's the word, uh, landing um, in, a, in a strong gust at Wellington. So good luck with the drive, um, and I hope that uh, we'll be able to arrive at about the same time fingers crossed we arrive at the same time i didn't have the heart to say to john i wouldn't drive to wellington after the trip to through lax and if we got another trip through lax where we literally got the wheels on the ground and we went back up again if that happened in wellington again i'm not sure i'm not sure john norman would be in any fit state to commentate for five days after that experience so he's he's actually to be fair to him Driving to Wellington with Sam Allard or going on a plane, there were two you know, different end of the spectrums of <laughs> options, and he's even chose to drive with Sam Allard for six and a half hours. That just shows you how much he hates flying. 
Well, good luck to you, and uh, I'll see you at at the other end. Uh, Right, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We'll be back at the same time next week to look back at the second test and review the series between New Zealand and England. Live and exclusive, of course, ball by ball on TalkSport 2 from Thursday. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.